0: To all my heavy hitters and lockdown defenders, welcome to the Lockdown Divas Podcast, episode 74. We're back in the building, man, each and every Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, on all popular platforms you get your podcast from. I want to thank everybody everybody out there for their support, their af- admiration, and their views. Uh, I had a bit of a milestone this week, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I In my podcast last week, I got my first dislike. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of new to this YouTube thing. And, um, you know, it's my first time seeing a dislike on one of my videos, which... Leads me to believe that uh, I'm doing something right. Uh, Typically when they start uh, giving their opinions on your content, typically you're doing something right. And it's something that you were said that was probably the truth, but ultimately rubbed in the wrong way. And if I had to guess, I would say it had something to do with my take on what the NFL should do in their hiring practices. Um, But guess what? I got some more uh, hot news and views about NFL culture this week uh, in the podcast coming up here shortly. So stay tuned for that. So, uh, if you're a little uh turned up about the idea of of me having an opinion on NFL and what they should do with their high practices, stay tuned for uh NFL culture segment. So, uh, we'll get into it once again in even more deep in depth. So, uh, yeah, I mean, let's be real, ultimately, really, you know, everybody has their opinion. You know, I'm not, I'm not torn up about the dislike, I'm not everybody has their opinion, but you know, I just funny that uh, somebody actually disliked the video for the first time in my. Uh, over a year doing my podcast so that's an interesting take interesting take to see people uh, actually disliking as well as liking my comments so i uh, like comment subscribe as always let me know how you feel and if you uh if you're so inclined if you do dislike it let me know why i love to hear it so just like everybody likes it i like to hear your comments i want to hear your dislikes too tell me what you didn't like um you know but if it's some truth in what i'm saying maybe you should look at yourself but anyway getting to the news and views of this week of course uh <laughs> The Super Bowl has concluded and uh we are officially in the NFL offseason and uh it's a bit bittersweet. Uh hate to see football go, but um the Super Bowl was definitely worth the money. Uh again, a game that was since uh, touted with a lot of controversy or uh the air quote bad guy in in the era of good guy, bad guy or bad cop, good cop type of uh uh matchups. But It was a spirited matchup. Nonetheless, uh, the Rams come in with a home field advantage, ironically, yet again for the second year in a row. And they uh, go up against the Bengals. And honestly and truly, it was a great game. Uh, A lot of ebbs and flows to it. A lot of strategy. That's definitely what I appreciate about the game. It was a lot of strategy involved. Uh, A lot of things changing and rearranging throughout the game. You know, how you started, wasn't how you finished. And that's definitely something uh, that's very unique about football is that you have to play chess, not checkers. And that's what they did, and that's what they did at, at the highest level. And I definitely was appreciative of that aspect of it. Hate to see football go for for a brief period, but it was definitely a way to go out. Um, so yeah, so let's get right into it, man. Let's talk about NFL headlines this week. Let's get into the Super Bowl recap. So, uh, <laughs> the NFL, I tell you they 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 always uh they always give you a show. <laughs> I tell you that they always give you a show. Um, you know, aside from that, you just I mean, I'm talking about the theatrics of the Super Bowl itself. It was a definitely a star-studded event as well as a, a one-of-a-kind event, to say the least. Um, but what I want to get into is the uh, positives and negatives and uh, my overall take of the Rams and the Bengals' performances in the game. So, um, you know, what happens for me, you know, as an analytical person and, and the person that covers sports you know um on a regular basis you know i get deep into the weeds of what went on in the game and uh you know being a football person of of my own right um coming up through the ranks uh, in the in the years i played the game and coached it as well you know you get really 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 uh locked in and analytical in in very detailed when it comes down to what happens in the games and you know i just looking at it like i said it was a very strategic game you know it just you know speaking of a brief moment what i'm saying is that I love the fact that Raheem Morris made so many different changes and in looks and in, in, uh, in, in overall uh, ways to rush the passer. You know, it was definitely a method of, well, I could just, because I'm the front of the half, I can just rush four all game and expect to get home. No. He realized that the Bengals had a decent game plan about how to block four, and he made it so they wouldn't have the, they wouldn't be able to block a traditional four uh, in the second half, and that made for a better pressure. You know, a lot of a lot of moving pieces here, man. I'm telling you. I mean, we can get in all day. We spent a whole podcast talking about you know the chess moves that they were made on the field, but this was definitely one for the ages as far as being uh, not talked about or underrated when it comes down to the moves the teams made. You know, so I'll start with the Rams. Uh, my takeaways from what the Rams did, I and I honestly truly thought this might be a runaway when the game started. Uh, because the Rams were cooking early. And they looked to seize the moment very early. And the Bengals came out with the ideology and philosophy. They are going to do the same thing they did against the Chiefs. They were going to take away Tyreek Hill or Cooper Cup in this situation. And they were going to let them beat you. And that was that was the move. We're going to bracket, double, do whatever we got to do to keep the – keep two guys around Cooper Cup at all times so Stafford didn't have an easy method to throw the ball to Cup, You know, and I give – I give the you know the Bengals defense a lot of credit. I think we as it's time you know we've you know had to wait to end of the season obviously, but I think it's time to really truly give credit to the Bengals defense for being really really stout uh, and on, on all facets of the football and from a defense perspective, you know we're talking all three levels: D line, linebacker, core, and secondary. Uh, the safeties are really good. The D line is really good. Linebackers underrated. You know corners still. Work in progress a little bit. I give Bay, you know, a lot of credit. Uh, Mike Hilton, a lot of credit. But Eli Appleboy, woo. <laughs> Uh Yeah, got to work on it. Got to work on it. But, you know, that's why he's a journeyman at this point. He was with the Giants originally. He bounced around. Now he's with the Bengals. But yet again, you know, speaking of the Rams, you know, I think that uh, they were not allowed to run the ball uh, ultimately when it came down to the entirety of the game. Um, but especially early, they weren't getting anywhere from, the, from a run perspective. I and mean, the Bengals' defense was really, really stout. They were not allowing any yardage up front. I mean, they averaged like one yard a carry um, early on. And I think that literally lingered all throughout the entire game. So that was one aspect of it. And, and I was kind of concerned at first because, you know, the genesis of the Rams' uh, offense is ultimately the run game. You get your run game going, pa- play action passes, shot plays, things of that nature generated off of that. Um, you know, he made the defense very uh uneasy and on his heels. But they couldn't run the ball. You <laughs> know, I think that Zach Teller knew that and he said that we're gonna do our best to stop the run and make them a passing team. And it will, we ultimately should play into our hands with our pass rush and our secondary. But the Rams had a little another thing coming when it came down early in the game. Uh, like I said, they were going to double cup, they're gonna take him away, and uh Odell Beckham got cooking early and often. I mean, I mean, he was moving well. You know, it's definitely was something to see, you know, he looked like, you know, the Odell of old, you know, if there's such a thing, I mean, I I would, I would think, you know, and from my perspective, I would think that he didn't truly ever, 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 ever fall off. It just was a circumstance, you know, when he had a good team in New York, he was, he was flourishing, never had a good team or never had a good quarterback in, in Cleveland. In a quarter quarterback and good teams in a good situation in L.A., he's back to flourish. And so, I really, truly, to me, I really think he never, ever, ever really fell off. It just a circumstance dictated his production. And that's a lot of people's uh, cross to bear. It really is. So, you have to look at it from that perspective. But, you know, again, Odell was cooking. Nobody could cover him. You know, no matter who you put on him, if he had one-on-one coverage, it was, it was lights out. That first touchdown he had was masterful. <laughs> my man gave homage to MJ. He did a woman walk, it was beautiful. You know, MJ's my favorite artist of all time. So hey, I'm here for it, man. I'm hype. Right? So that being said, you know, it looks as if that they were going to be able to get what they wanted to because they had that secondary receiver on the other side that that would a baby compliment cup um but Robert was being out. And Van Jefferson kind of, you know, he was having he was having his struggles um, this year trying to get um his flow and get his groove in his offense. It never really clicked in large spaces. He had some splash plays here and there, but he never was a really consistent target for Matthew Stafford. So um, you know, without Haig hate being again there down at a third string tight end and things of that nature it was wild. But with OBJ getting going and, and Cup being uh double teamed, it was the pass game was running good. And until the unthinkable happened and OBJ was trying to catch a shallow crosser and he tweaked his knee, and he was down. And it was a non conscious injury, same knee he injured in previous uh, ACL injury he had in Cleveland. It made us all cringe. It really, it made us all cringe. I, I really, I really was, it really was upset by the fact that it looked like he was probably gonna be done for at least, at least a game, uh, and you know maybe worse. I didn't know, but it was very uh, telling when he went to the sideline and immediately to the locker room that it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. So with them losing him it kind of fell into the bengal's hands a little bit um because they were honestly truly, the rams often stalled at that point um they got they got seven um with the obj touchdown i think um they actually got they got you know get 14 actually and, I'm, and now i'm not i'm not uh i mistaken yes they got 14 where they missed the extra point hecker fumbled the snap on the field goal but they got two quick touchdowns so we're up 13 nothing um, but then yes, the OBJ's injury, uh, happened and that seemed like it sucked the life out of the whole entire, uh, team for a minute. Like it just, everybody just gasped like, Oh, oh my God, what do we do now? So, um, I would say that, you know, from there, um, you know, we always know the Bengals is a second half team, but that it kind of, it kind of get bailed them out because the Rams offense kind of stalled after OBJ went out. And, um, and I think Stafford just to you really started to press a little bit because, Looking at it from this perspective, they were doubling Cup. They were taking him away, and OBJ was no longer in the game. Van Jefferson really wasn't a factor. He didn't have a tight end. Um, You know, his next best target was his backs out of backfield. They weren't getting a whole lot of yards there. So that particular aspect was frustrating Cup. It was frustrating Stafford, I should say. And that ultimately led to him making some mistakes. It really did, because he was trying to press. Uh, Press and try to force the ball down the field. Like, he forced that pass to Van Jefferson, pointed to him, try to go to get him in the corner end zone, and underthrew the ball, and it was intercepted. Um, which I mean, that particular interception, I'm not really gonna, uh, you know, you know, browbeat him too bad on it because it was also, awesome. it was third and long, uh, and they were out, they were in field goal range. So it's essentially a long punt. That's really all it was. He threw the interception, but, and they got it back as a touchback on a 20. So it was essentially a punt, you know, a punt out of bounds. So, I mean, you know, a punt, a touchback punt wasn't that big of a deal, but, you know, it's it still bred life into the Bengals, you know, so that, that made it, um, you know, I, you know, an, an interesting footnote in the game is that they, you know, pretty much left the door open because they weren't moving the ball. Couldn't run. Um, no more receiver blanketed. You know, he just had, didn't have any secondary target to go to, so he couldn't move the ball. Um, but to Raheem Morris' credit and his defense, they kept them in it. Uh, you know, they didn't allow, in the second half especially, they didn't allow them to uh, – you know, take the game over and blow the game out, out of proportion once the offense was struggling, um, and that, that's what I alluded to earlier about Raheem Morris making those chest moves and moving, making those chest uh, you know moves around the field and and using the strategic his strategic logic to say that I'm going to uh, give them different looks and giving different uh, pressures and different fronts and do different stunts to allow for them to get one on ones on my best guys. You know, I'm going to line up Aaron Donald and Von Miller on the same side, and that's already a nightmare. If you're you're a lineman, you're already worried. You know, if you got two of these jokers who are both elite pass rushers, all-time great pass rushers on the same side, then that's problematic. I can't double both of them because guess what? You know, somebody's going to be free. If I double both of them, you know, somebody's going to leave Leonard Floyd free one-on-one or not get blocked at all. And if they bring a fifth rusher, we're really screwed. You know, so, again, I appreciate the the chess moves that were made in this game because it was definitely something – to see from a uh analytical standpoint it really was um but just to see those different things happen and change you know cuz like i said they kind of stymied in the in the first half after those first two touchdowns and didn't really get anything else going and the bengals started to uh you know move the ball a bit and get some points um you know towards the end of the uh, half and um you know that was uh, uh something that would will kind of play into the bengals hands because they're a second half team so you know, credit to the defense for ultimately truly making those adjustments and and holding the Bengals' offense down and keeping the game close. Uh, once things started to, uh, change on the offensive side. So, again, I give Ray Ray Moore a lot of credit for being really strategic and, um, you know, another African American head coach is ha- African American former head coach is really good as a coordinator and is showing his shine in the Super Bowl. Um, definitely something that uh, something that I was appreciative of and great to see. It really was. So. You know, I think that that particular aspect of it kept it close. And, uh, we started getting too late into the second half. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, you have to address the elephant in the room and say that, you know, those defensive penalties that happened in the Bengals against the Bengals, um, and later in the game allowed Stafford to gain some, uh, steam in his offense and ultimately got them a score to bring them close. I believe there was 16 to, uh, 20 going into the last drive. And, um, you know, they were able to uh get Cooper Cup wide open, um on well, I'm gonna call it wide open, but on one on one on the outside, uh, which allowed the staffer to get him a, a nice fade route pass to the corner end zone, back shoulder. And Cooper Cup was ultimately able to uh close the game out in that regard from the Rams perspective and put them up twenty three twenty. Um yeah, so that was definitely something that I appreciated from the Rams' perspective is that they were able to figure things out. I also did notice that they moved Cooper Cup around after they started to, and that allowed them to get the office back going because they put him in a situation in spots, kind of, you know, hit him in bunches and in trips formations where it was very hard to bracket him because you put him on outside, it's easy. You know, it's a double team. You play one person place outside leverage, one plays person place inside leverage, and you, you can double him that way. But if you put him in a slot or you put him in a bunch formation and things of that nature, it's, it's hard. Uh, especially when you got moving pieces out of the bunch that's going different ways, it's hard to match up, you know. And you get free releases and things of that nature, and you're, and you're down the field and you're wide open, or you're on one-on-one coverage. And we all know one-on-one coverage, Cooper's cup, he's always open. So, yeah, man, it was definitely a great match uh, from the Rams' perspective, and that's that's my takeaways from them. You know, top to bottom, they started early. OBJ got hurt, and they uh, sputtered a little bit because they tried to figure things out as far as who where their production was going to come from. Couldn't run the ball obviously for the entirety of the game. So they had to pivot a little bit. Defense kept them in it. And ultimately what ended up happening is that they started to move Cup around and started to do things different, differently strategically to allow Cooper Cup to be available to Stafford to him to throw the ball to. And one masterpiece of a throw that no look past that Stafford had, oh my God, Dude, that he completely looked Von Bell off, thinking he was going to the tight end, and he threw a strike to as a post route to Cooper Cup right behind Vaughn Miller's ear. It was amazing. Never looked at him. Never looked at him. I watched that play like 10 times. It was amazing. It was amazing. So yeah. Uh ultimately how the Rams pivoted. You know, I think that we thought it might be a runaway early. You know, and OBJ gets hurt. They sputter. Defense keeps a minute. And uh they get a score to go up three points, and Aaron Donald close the game out. That's that's where it lands. That's where it lands. let's talking about the Bengals and my takeaways from what the Bengals did in this game. Um Again, you know, talking about how they're always a second-half team, slow start. You know, that's been their M.O. It's always been at it. Always been what's been going on. And what's the only thing that's been uh, keeping them uh, from, you know, having deep troubles having to dig themselves out of the hole is their defense. Um, you know, they've, like I said, slow starts. And they didn't get going to maybe the second quarter, and mid-second mid quarter towards the end of the half. Um uh, you know but there was again they were you know based upon the Rams sputtering on offense they were allowed to uh, ultimately get back into the game um at half and uh Stafford threw you know that one pick early and um and he came out in the second half and threw another pick after they scored you know and played right into the Bengals hands because obviously you know, they're a second half team so if what you don't want to do to a second half team is give them easy momentum that's the one thing you don't want to do. And that's what the Rams didn't. So at that point you figured out the the particular momentum was going to shift and the Rams were going to give the game away and the Bengals were going to run away with it because they were poised. Like I said, they got a quick score right out of the half. Um that bottle T. Higgins, which again, question call about the whole face mask thing with Jalen Ramsey. You know, a physical corner. What sucks about that situation is that, you know, and I'm not here to dite anybody, referee or whoever, you know, Ramsey or Higgins. But, you know, when you're when you play physical Sometimes the referees, you know, you let things go because you're just you're always playing physical. And if you if you always say and, and, and make it known that you're playing physical, you're just trying to play tough defense. You know, they would sometimes let things go. So if you get your face mask yanked or you get you get pushed off or things of that nature, sometimes those things happen because you're just that type of the corner. And they kind of you know human nature is kind of saying, "Well, they just playing, you know, football. We're gonna let them play, let them figure it out, and who wins, who wins." And Higgins got the better of the matchup and he scored. So that particular aspect happened. So they get that touchdown, and then Stafford throws a pick right behind it off a tip pass to Skoranek. He he muffed the pass coming across the middle and let it bounce in the air and they picked it off. So uh that was truly um where he thought the tide was gonna turn. Um, you know, I said wasn't much to talk about in the second first half because it was ultimately, you know, them not uh moving the ball too much or well at all until the mid second quarter. And um, they got that particular aspect uh, rectified. And um, once they did that, they were able to, um, you know, move the ball and in the second half and get a score and then get a turnover, which they were going to drive down to score again. And if they got a touchdown, they were really going to hopefully, you know, bust the game wide open. But again, that goes back to that Rams defense. Aaron Donald and Environmental had other plans, they really did. They really did. And uh, between Aaron Donald and Von Miller, they stymied two potential scoring drives, which they only ended up getting a field goal out of one of them, which ultimately aided in the comeback. Uh, because, you know, had they got seven on, 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 any, on any of those, both of those drives, uh, we, we're talking about a different outcome. We really are. But again, the defense was was lights out. And this is one particular aspect of the game that was, was ultimately truly, I think, lost the Bengals to the Super Bowl. And well, that in their protection, but we'll get into that in a minute. Is the fact that Zach Taylor didn't stay true to his uh, his balanced offense. You know, he got a great running back in Joe Mixon who ran the ball well. He had like 15 carries for like 71 yards, uh, which isn't you know wasn't you know Jonathan Taylor numbers, but it was it was effective, especially against a good defense. You know, the Rams only played good run defense one time this year, and that was against the 49ers in the conference title game. You know, but typically they're a little bit. Um, I don't want to call, use the word soft, but they're a little bit susceptible that's a good word So you against the run. So, if you stay with that and kept Joe, kept Joe Burrow out of trouble and out of obvious pass situations, and you made the Rams think about the run is uh a little bit, I think they would open up their offense and kind of kept the pass rush at bay. But when everybody in the building, and including everybody watching the home, no one's an obvious pass down. What do you think Vaughn Miller and Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd are going to do before Leonard Floyd got hurt, obviously, when he messes growing up? What do you think they're going to do? They're going to pin areas back, and they're going to come at the quarterback relentlessly, and, and it didn't pan out well for Joe Burrow, sacked seven times. So that, that's, that's, where they, that's where they ultimately truly uh, you know, kind of sabotage themselves when it comes down to their uh, game plan. They didn't say true to the run game. I mean, they literally ran the ball down the, the Kansas City Chiefs' throat at the end of the game uh, in that in that matchup in Arrowhead. You know, and if you haven't, you know, moderate success, at least at least stay with it. Don't completely abandon. It. That's what he did. Uh, you can't you can't play right into their hands. I mean, ultimately, truly, with their the, the best asset they have when it's Rams defense is their pass rush. That's their best asset. And you're gonna play right into that by throwing the ball uh, repeatedly. That's it's not a recipe to win. It really isn't. And I think that's where they also when we messed up. I mean, yeah, it's a first time head coach in the Super Bowl, things like that. It's your first time quarterback in the Super Bowl. It's a lot of firsts there. But you know, just something. If you go do nothing else, Zach, to learn from this and stay and stay true to the run game, especially when you have a success at it. I mean, look at the Rams. The Rams had no success at all with running the ball, but they kept doing it. They kept handing the ball over first down, getting one yard, and that's what they did. And they stayed with it. They stayed with it. They did not give up on it because they wanted you to think about it. They wanted you to think about it. And I also me, truly, I think that hurt the Bengals pass rush. I really do, because they were not getting, once they got to the quarterback early or early in the game, they didn't get them to him at all at the rest of the game, practically. And i will giving the Rams O line credit, they're good. But I think the fact that they were honestly and truly uh worried about the runner made you think about it. You know, there was as there being an option for them to do, they didn't they weren't able to pin the airs back and go down to the quarterback. You know, so again, that's the cautionary tale to don't abandon the run, especially when it's working moderately or, or, or well. You know, it make you one-dimensional, and that's what you play right into the Rams' hands, and they, they came after you realistically with that pass rush, and it was just a bad look. Can't keep can't keep uh, Joe Burrow um, upright and safe in the pocket. The offense is not going to work. They had five possessions. They had five possessions in the game. They ended in a punt or a turnover and downs. You had the chances you did you really had the chance you were up and you your the lack of uh uh change or diversity in your offense which what which didn't allow you to move the ball effectively towards the end of the game also it really cost you it really did if you stayed balanced and you ran the ball and you play action pass and short pass and things of that nature um you got the ball out your hands quick and you know, just matriculate the ball down the field and even look you know eat up some clock if you had to to keep the, the rams off the field you do what you got to do. It's it's win or go home. You know it's all or nothing. This is for everything. So again, let that be Cardinal Taylor Zach Taylor to stay true to your balance offense and and stay balancing. Make them think about both aspects of the, of the of the of the your offense, not just one. But again, you can't play into your the Rams hands by passing the ball profusely because they're going to get after you one way or the other. Sooner or later, Von Miller and Aaron Donald going to get home. It's sooner or later. It's it's inevitable. It really is. It really is. The only way it's not is they're not on the field. <laughs> That's really what it boils down to. So you have to look at it from that perspective and understand what you're dealing with. So looking back on it, I think again, the Bengals, you know, they are, you know, they are a team that I'm, I have questions about. You know, I think that this might be a light in the bottle situation. Um, and, and and you know, and I, what I mean by that is saying that this might be a one time thing, and I think things really broke right for them to make it to the Super Bowl here. And um, and I say that to say that say that to say is I don't trust the organization. Historically, they haven't been nowhere near elite at sustaining talent or using their assets to obtain what they need to build upon their success. So I'm back to feeling bad for Joe Burrow. I really am. Because I don't trust their front office. I really don't. Uh I think he needs protection. I've been saying that. I've been banging on that since I started this podcast. I really have. I've been saying it for for over a year now. I really have that he needs protection. He really does. You know. And this is this is a hot take, and, I, and I'm and I'ma say it. And uh, you know, and it, it, as much as I've fallen over to Jamal Chase right now, I really I admit it on my podcast, the people that listen to me every week, that I said that Jamal Chase pick was the right one. Um but Want you look at it from this perspective, because you have Tyler Boyd and C. Higgins already in camp, right? Already on your roster. Let's just say you didn't pick Jamar Chase. Instead, you picked Pinnay Sue. Do you think Pinnae Sue would have been enough protection for Joe Burrow to to one, make at least one drive in that game to win it? Or or out of those five drives that you had that didn't amount to anything because of the pressure? You were getting from the Rams' D line. Do you think that he would have held up long enough with him and Jonah Hill on each end of their uh, line? You think he would have held up long enough to allow Burrow to be more comfortable in the pocket and allow him to get the ball down the field and get uh get down the field and either get a field goal or a touchdown? And any any point of those five drives, I think you would have. So, would you have traded? uh Jamar Chase for Panay Sewell for a Super Bowl. I think I think you should and uh, would have if you could go back in time and do it again. Ultimately oh, and truly. Because again everything broke right for you, you know, from a, a production standpoint and a in a win standpoint and a matchup standpoint who you played, you know, things fell apart in your division. You won a division. You played the right people at the right time. You had the right game plan. I'm just saying that Jamar Chase was definitely uh, highly productive in the in the catalyst in this in this happening. But let's just say hypothetically, you didn't draft Jamar Chase. You drafted an old lineman in the first round, and drafted another uh, receiver in the second round, and and boom, your protection is better. You still got three good receivers, and you allow uh, Joe Burrow to stay upright and comfortable in bed, deliver the ball down the field. I think that ultimately would have ultimately won you the Super Bowl. So, you know, you're not wrong for Jamar Jamar, but I'm not wrong either for saying you needed Panay Seward instead of Jamar Chase. I'm just saying. All right, so in the Rams situation, I think uh, you know what's uh, you know this is uh, what's next in a sense for uh, you know with the Rams. I think that um, you know they're a different story. And This is my takeaway from you know what's going to happen for them uh, going forward. You know, I think they have um, you know they'll they'll ultimately truly you know as being Super Bowl champs, they'll they'll figure it out. You know, unlike the Bengals front office, I trust them to ultimately figure it out. You know, um, and I think they will have a team built uh, around success, l like they have had since they've uh, been, had this tandem of McVay and Snead and Cronky, uh, all you know pulling the strings from different facets, trying to keep this team together. Now, it's one thing I don't want to see, and I and I'm and I'm really hoping you know I don't and I don't you know. You know, some people in that are my Chargers fan listeners probably think it's sacrilegious to root for the Rams, but it's not about me root for the Rams. But I root for Aaron Donald. I always have. I love Aaron Donald. I always have. I mean, you know, people, you know, going back to playing Madden, my Madden days, I would offer people three first round picks for Aaron Donald services. That's how much I love Aaron Donald, and that's just playing with him in Madden. It had nothing to do with you know rooting for him in real life. But I root for him in real life. He's an excellent player. He's one of the most dominant players I've ever seen. You know, I've 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 I have very high regard for. LT, uh, Reggie White, Bruce Smith, and Aaron Donald. Very high praise. They're very high in my book as far as all-time greats in my book. And, again, he's talking retirement. You know, he was you know kind of teetering on that, and I don't want to see it. I really don't. I understand that he may not have nothing else to prove at this point. Three-time defensive MVP, you know, uh, pretty much all pro every year. That he plays unblockable, you know, in, in, even with two people. You know, I mean, the list goes on as far as what he can can do and how good he is from an interior pass rush perspective. I mean, you haven't, I mean, a uh, shorter Warren Sapp. I think you know, as far as being a menace in the middle, and that's and that's that's a that, that bar is is wide. Like the the bar for where Aaron Donaway is, the Warren Sapp is, is is a wide gap, and and he's the probably closest person I can remember offhand that was an uh, interior pass rusher and would really wreak havoc like that. You know, John Randall kind of comes in nine, too. But, again, I, I John Randall in, in one separate in one bucket and in, in Aaron still in another, he's in a whole different league. So I don't want to see him retire. That's one thing I don't want to see. I get it. You know, and if, at this point, you know, I really feel like, you know, it's a hard person to say he is not a Hall of Famer right now. You know, but I think I want to see a few more years of him sending his legacy. I mean, maybe we could put a couple more rings in those fingers, you know, before it's all said and done. But... As a team, I think that you know. Ultimately, I think the ownership and the front office. They, they, I, I like the Bengals, like, like I said, they'll figure it out. I have faith in, in their this roster, not reload, but retool, because we know what happens when you say reload. Look, what you know? You ask the Buccaneers what happened with that, but uh, nonetheless, I think they'll they'll bring a team back that's in a championship conversation again in July. And I, and the only request I really truly have for the for the Rams is that this bring Odell back and back health when he becomes healthy, bring him back. I think he deserves that much i really do everything really him and vaughn were were a deep catalysts in in and being the final pieces that you needed to be able to get you over the hump and get your super bowl title i really do and so i think they've earned the respect that if they want to come back to the team they should and the and, the, and you owe it to them. i really do feel like you owe it to them to bring them back now i understand odell with his injuries probably gonna be out probably to the playoffs next year i'm thinking time nine wise and win february that's a some people say it's a year injury, some people say it's a 10 month injury. I mean, you look at it, uh, Andrea Peterson, when his situation, he had, he heard it in December and he was back in camp in August. So what's that nine months? So, you know, I mean, and he's a freaking nature in my opinion, too. So that was a whole enough conversation, but there, that, that particular injury, you know, people are starting to come back earlier and earlier from injuries these days because of treatments and advanced medicine. But I think that early as you're looking is December, maybe January. Uh, for him to come back healthy. So I would say that, you know, if you know bring him back for a playoff run, if nothing else. You know, do that for him. And then, you know, once he figures out what he's going to do with his health and things of that nature, how well he produces after that, you know, at least give him that olive branch and say, hey, come back for one more year and ride with us. So that's the only thing I really want to see. So that's my take on what's next for the Bengals and the Rams. So let's talk about what's next. Uh... And kind of a bit of a headline piece for the NFL uh, overall. Now, I'm hearing some rumors in Arizona that there's a lot of turmoil going on with Murray. Now, he has unfollowed his uh, all his affiliates when it comes down to the Cardinals um, organization, uh, friends, players. I mean, anything that's, quote-unquote, having to do with the Cardinals, he's unfollowed them on Instagram. I believe it's Instagram. And uh, it comes down to another situation here uh, in the next day or so ago where he was uh, frustrated and spoke public about how he was uh, very upset about the nonsense. He's not here for the nonsense and whatever that means. So, you know, at least need to believe it has something to do with his contract. Um, he's He is due for a payday, and I believe he has another year on his fifth year option, I want to say, he's working on this year. Um, and then he'll we have the, he'll be available to sign a long-term deal. So with that being said, I think that there's really, really some uh, discrepancies and, you know, I guess you can say differences of opinion and what he should feel like he should be paid. Um, you know, eh, you know, from my perspective, I think that most agents go in with the mindset of that they're going to be the next highest paid quarterback when it comes down to them being productive and being one of the top tier quarterbacks in the league. And, you know, him being a dual with their quarterback and being a really good one. You know, that makes it feel like you say, "Well, Dak Presley, I got forty million dollars. We won forty two, and maybe the Cardinals aren't feeling that perspective, especially how un- how well he under how he underperformed in the playoffs, um, and down the stretch a little bit. because when does Desvante- when De- uh, DeAndre Hopkins went out the lineup, he was a different quarterback and I'll come back off injury. So maybe they're looking at it from that perspective. But he has improved each and every year. So you have to look at it from both sides. And do you want to go back into quarterback purgatory? Without Murray? I don't know, but you know, regardless of that, I think that it's cl- clearly around the idea of his contract, and I think he feels vehemently dis- disrespected. And you know what they're and what they're talking about paying him, oh, or the whole idea of the franchise tag. That's what, that's my thought as well. I think it has something to do around the franchise tag because they're looking at it from a standpoint of uh, trying to keep as much uh, weaponry around him as they possibly can, which would be maybe possibly depending on what how much money he wants per year in this long term deal, it might be cheaper to franchise tag. You know, kind of kick the can down the road a little bit, um, save, you know, save a few dollars to pay other people. So maybe he's not feeling that. And that's one thing quarterbacks are kind of stuck with it, at high price position players, period. They you can literally be stuck with this franchise tag for two, three years, you know, minimum, um, on top of the rookie deal you have. Now, granted you make pretty decent money, but there's no guarantees. You know, it's a one year at a time. You know, there's, there's no guarantees, you know, no set amount of money that I'm going to get. No, you know, guaranteed money, long-term guaranteed money. And, you know, some people feel like, especially a running back or wide receiver, feel like I maybe only get one of these contracts, you know, based on the age demographic. So, you know, this could be a lot of things uh, swirling around when, in Kyler's uh, in head, but it, it's between but between the idea of the money not being right long-term or they threaten with their franchise tag, He's not happy, <laughs> to say the least. So I would definitely uh err on the side of caution with uh trying to uh you know quote undersell him if I'm the Arizona Cardinals, in my personal opinion. You, you want you want to keep him in house because it's a, it's not pretty in these in these quarterback free agent streets, it's not. <laughs> it really isn't. I mean your your best and brightest candidate right now is, is Jimmy Garoppolo you know, everybody else has to be traded for, you know, that that could possibly be on the move in you know, off season. But only person that's not on the contract, well, he's still on the contract, honestly. Jim Carpo is, but it's only been made public that he's gonna be uh available. You know, it might not be a high price tag to get him, you know, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what Eric Cardinal's gonna do, you know, but I think that you would be uh doing yourself a disservice by not trying to keep Kyler Murray at all costs. That's just that's just just what I'm saying what I'm saying. Speaking of quarterbacks and their drama, Aaron Rodgers you know, being his normal diva self and his, you know, theatrics about what he's going to do and not going to do. Um, You know, rumors of, uh, you know, him going to Denver possibly with Hackett. Um, You know, that's out there. Um, Him potentially coming back to Green Bay and their, their love affair at the NFL Honors. Eh. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's you know it's it's up and down. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and fawn over or or rack my brain over for for that matter about what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. But this is what I do know, you know, because there are even rumors out there that they're trying to kick the tires on the idea maybe Carson wants to become available in uh trade, um, which could be a piece that maybe that could attract the Packers to you know ultimately want to trade him to Indy. But I, I don't know. You know, if that'll pan out or that's a true thing or they're just trying to see if he is a possibility, whatever the case may be. But this is this is my issue with Aaron. Overall, no matter where he goes, he stays in Green Bay and whatever they do about that roster, because they got a lot of cap issues over there. That's one problem. If he goes to Denver. He's it's air quarter ready made team. Good defense, really good weapons on offense. Good old line. Ready made team. Right. That's all fine and good on paper. It is same thing with Indy. And he got a great defense, ready-made receivers, great O-line. Yeah, I want to say that was one of the best O-lines in the league, you know, bar none. But the problem is not the team he plays for. The problem is Aaron Rodgers. It really is. The problem is Aaron Rodgers. And and when sooner we come to grips with that, the better everybody else, else is going to be ultimately and truly. It, it, that really, really would have boils down to. Them. Because, and I said this before and I'll say it again. Aaron Rodgers has character issues. It, it he really does. He really has character issues, and he has he has character issues, and he has trust issues. Um, on top of the fact that he has a lot of selfish tendencies, you know, I kind of air him and and Kyrie Irving in the same breath. Um, as far as being uh really really high maintenance from an athletic athletic perspective and in a character perspective, it, it's a lot to deal with. It really is a lot to deal with. I it it rubs me the wrong way where it kind of, it kind of burns my bridges. It really does. Um, but I mean, again, that being said, you know, I really think that no matter where he goes, what he does and, and where he goes, if he, like I said, stays in green Bay, fine. If he goes to Denver, fine. If he goes to, uh, India, who anywhere, I mean, anywhere that, that, that any person, any team that would be even Pittsburgh would be, um, you know, crazy enough to give up a King's ransom to trade for him, right? Issue, again, is Aaron. You get him in your in your organization, expect him to ultimately change your fortune, and it's not going to happen. He's going to look really good in the regular season, and he's going to flounder again in the playoffs like he always does. Because, you know, when you play good teams on a, a, a extremely regular basis, right, that, you know, things get tight, Things get, you know, air quote, um, you know, it, it becomes a becomes a pressure cooker of a situation. Let me put it that way: it becomes a pressure cooker of a situation. You know, Aaron, you know, tends to play small. He really does, and he also tends to lean on people he trusts and trusts only. And and teams know that. Teams know that. I mean, ask the axe the Forty Nineers in the playoffs this past year, they they knew exactly what. Aaron was going to do and where he wanted to go to, and they just took that away from him, and he had nowhere to nowhere to go. He had nowhere to go, and, and that's and that's the biggest problem with this whole situation is that when the chips are down and the people that you are there are quote uh, available to you that you trust, you know, and they aren't, you know, ultimately truly um, open and you're able to get the ball to them at a high clip. Guess what? You know, you don't. Your office doesn't move, and and I say all that to say is that you know there's one guy, ultimately two guys, ultimately in Green Bay he trusts. But you mean to tell me that he's going to get traded to another team and he's going to go somewhere else where he has no rapport or no trust built with any of these players, and he you expect him to flourish? You know, especially in a tougher division like let's say hypothetically he goes to the NFC West. I mean, excuse me, the AFC West. Let's say that happens. He's going against two to three good teams, you know, that have great offenses, great quarterbacks, great pass rushers. You really think that's going to work out? Because, you know, you don't, you're don't. you not playing the Bears and the, and the Vikings and the Lions, you know, six times a year anymore. You're playing good teams every time you play a division game. And in the AFC, you're playing Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and, and Joe Burrow, you know. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, it's not a cakewalk. It's not. It's not. It's not the cushy NFC North no more. It really isn't. So you mean to tell me a pressure cooker of a situation of playing up in a tougher division, and you're gonna mean to tell me that I'm going to give you receivers that you don't trust? It's it's a recipe for disaster. So for my money, I would just hope you know for just just for, for just to save other teams, Steelers, Indy, Denver, anybody else that's vying for Aaron's services. This to save you the headache of, of me being right. I hope that Aaron stays in Green Bay. He's, he's, he's comfortable there. He's been there. He has people he trusts there. And let him just run this vicious cycle of the same things over and over again and nothing happens different. Because, again, he goes somewhere else. He has no rapport built with anybody and it's going to be a disaster. And he's going to whine and complain and, and, and rip, uh, subliminally rip his teammates because they aren't on the same level as him. It's never going to be his fault. You know, and that goes back to what I said a few weeks ago about meeting people where they're at as a quarterback. You know, you have to, you have to be the one to, to forge a relationship. Look what Matt Stafford did with Cooper Cup in the in season. You want Cooper Cup run the Triple Crown. Matt Stafford's a Super Bowl champion in one year. Of one of one off season of 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 speaking and, and living together as roommates, in in off se- in the preseason. You know, spending time on the phone, building you know building uh, trust and building uh, a relationship, and it's a two way street. You know, but you got Val- Valdez, Scanlon, Lazard, and all these other guys that have been in the organization as the Packers for years, and he's never built a relationship with none of them, and they've been there. So you mean to tell me you're gonna give me four or five foreigners? Um, from a receiver perspective, somebody's foreign to Aaron, so it's going to ultimately make it better for him, and he's going to win a Super Bowl based upon that? No. No, I have no faith in that. No faith in that. So, to say everybody everybody's vying for his services a headache, we hope he stays in Green Bay. That's my take on it. That's my take on it. So, there's another headline that's going on with the, I'm going to try to get this right, because uh, I have <laughs> The Washington Commanders <laughs> have uh been highly aggressive uh in talks of them you know acquiring a quarterback with the quarterback class being very weak this year in the draft. They've uh, been highly uh newsworthy, you know, it's been highly newsworthy methods of swirling around the idea that they want to get Jimmy G services or somebody like him to be the quarterback going forward. Now what they're willing to give up to get Jimmy G. I mean, at this point, it, the 49ers might end up in a bidding war. if for his services. They really might. Uh, he truly may be the one, you a person that might even gone to a second, high second or or early first round pick. How about that? How about that? That's winning. That's winning for the 49ers. It really is. But you know, there's the talks around that, uh, perspective that Jimmy G could be the quarterback, um, for the football team. Now, um, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. I do think they need a quarterback. Um, Jimmy G's health is the issue. Um, you know, overall, um, you know, he hadn't been too banged up this year. He was a little banged up here and there. He but he missed any extended time. You know, he made it all the way to the conference title game without you know missing a game. But he did have some knickknacks. You know, some nicks, some bumps and bruises along the way. But I would go out and let me say that the football team's O line is stands right now isn't. Uh, as good as the forty ers O-line, which will make it more problematic for Jimmy G's health to be be a concern. So that that's a little quirky situation for me. I think that you would need to, one, trade for him, and two, figure out a way to patch the O-line up a little bit better and and and, and, and increase your run game because he needs a, a, a solid run game to be effective. He's not a, you know, 25 to, you know, the 30 to 45 drop back pass guy. He's not. He's more like a 20-25 attempt guy so you know get that running game uh running well and 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 true that online too long you know build that online improve that online i think that that's the only way it works so have to watch out for those headlines but that's something that's something to to watch out for for sure I, i'm i'm curious about how that's going to play out and it seems to me like it, it might end up being a bidding war uh when it comes down to the services it just might um because if they're vying for services and other people as well then they're going to, you know, just, you know, line up and let's see who who ultimately uh gives the best uh price for, them. you know, because, you know, because if, if nothing, if it's all second round picks, they're going to take the highest, who has the highest second round pick and, or somebody offers a first because they really want them and want to leapfrog the other competition. They might give up that too. So you never know. You never know what may happen. But Jimmy G might be just that big of a hot commodity down the line. So we'll see how it shakes out. So now let's talk about Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is uh in, in, in the news a little bit here. Um, in indirectly, because uh I'm seeing that the Seahawks are making a lot of wholesale changes when it comes down to their coaching staff. And I think that's all predicated upon the fact that they're trying to make Russell stay, make him happy. Um, you know, I think he has at his wits end about where the team's going and how dated they are. So uh <laughs> I think that that's uh, telling in uh, what Russell's uh, air quote you know um, plans are. Um, you know, will he formally request a trade here soon? You know, um, trying to get out of Seattle, or uh, will he be able to? Uh, will he be able to reel him back in with these coaching changes? I'm not sure. Um, but I will say this: that if his overall issue is with Pete Carroll, no matter no matter what coaching changes you make in in a subordinate role, it's never going to make him happy, and he's never going to want to stay. So it's just really what boils down to what the issues are. If he likes these new coaches, then he might hang around, depending on what they do with personnel. But, again, they don't have a whole lot to work with. They don't have any high draft picks. Um, they up against the cap. So, I mean, it's not a whole lot they can do from a personnel perspective. So it's kind of like I'm just spinning my wheels and hoping that this, what we can do better with the same roster next year. Eh, yeah, it's a tough one. That's a tough one. So, again, I think they're trying to make him happy any way they can. Um, You know, hiring and firing coaches is pretty much all they can do. They can't make a whole lot of splashes and. Agency, don't have a whole lot of money, don't have a lot of draft capital. They hope that hopefully they hit. That's the problem too. They're hoping to hit on, you know, the draft picks in the mid rounds. But guess what? The draft is really top heavy. It's not really it's not really a deep draft. Um, there's a lot of developmental projects that you're gonna be getting in the third, fourth round. It's not it's not it's not a whole lot of hidden gems from what we can see in early on projections. So it's gonna be a rough sale. It's gonna be a rough sale. So we could see Russell uh, formally request a trade here soon, um, if I had to guess. Um because 'cause I'm just sure he doesn't want he's spinning his wheels with the same uh team and same coaching staff and the same uh uh players around him and the same issues he has with the team from a personnel perspective and nothing's different and he's speaking to make him ward out of wine. Just it's not it. You look at you looking at uh Tom Brady and look at Matt Stafford, last two Super Bowl winners, they've all had legit weapons and multiple of them, you know, throughout the season and you know, had a good old line and good protection. You know that that's that's the two probably the two biggest things that he needs. You know they gave him a good tight end. He has two good receivers, but no protection. You no, know, I mean they were they were at odds with Dwayne Brown about his contract, and that was his left tackle. So they would have issues keeping him around. So I don't know. You know, for my money, I think Russell is at least going to try to attempt to explore the option of getting out of there. But a question of where will he land? That's another question. But and I think him, uh, you know, outside of Aaron, would be a good pick up for other teams like you know say uh, Denver hypothetically I think that would ultimately be a good situation for him because it'll be a fresh start he can build his relationships with those young guys and lead them he really could you know I'm not sure how him and Hackett will mesh but ultimately I think this truly will be a better situation for him same thing in Pittsburgh um I I really like Pittsburgh for Russell for some reason I really do with him and Tomlin but yeah, that's the issue. I mean Indy, I mean that makes a lot of sense. Even Washington to a degree. I mean, honestly, I'm not sure. I mean Washington uh, they kind of feel like the 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 Seahawks of the East. They had the same problems in a little bit, you know. A little bit. So and they don't have a legit receiver, you know, outside of McLaurin. So it kinda of, kinda of be a downgrade. But those other situations in, in the AFC, yeah, it might work out. It might work out. So we'll see. We'll see. All right, so last bit of the NFL news and headlines before we move over to the NBA. Uh, I want to recap what the N-N-N-B- NFL honors were and uh, who the winners were, rest of my predictions. So uh, who I predicted to win MVP, MVP, um, my take on it was uh, I I've thought Tom Brady had a shot, but I thought likely it would be Aaron Rodgers, and it was. Aaron Rodgers was the offensive of, uh, most valuable player. He was the most valuable player of the league. So like, Aaron Rodgers did win it. Um, Tom Brady did get some votes uh, along Cooper Cup for a few, a few votes, but uh, Aaron Rodgers won it convincingly. So, um, he was the uh, so I was you know fifty percent right on that. I think it was like I said, Tom Brady, but likely Rodgers was my take on it. Offensive Player of the Year with no, was no, no, for Cooper Cup. I we all knew that. We all knew that. Uh, I said T.J. Watt, although I wanted to see Michael Parsons get votes and maybe win it, um, just because overall production from a middle linebacker perspective. I mean, he was a pass rusher and middle linebacker. He did it all. But TJ Watt uh tied the sack record, ultimately awesome won him the award. So TJ was my pick and he won it. So we definitely uh got that right for the most part. You know, I had a outside hope that Micah could win it, but I think CJ was it was the right pick. There he was. I was the rookie year, Jamal Chase, no debate there. So same thing with rookie of the year, uh, uh Michael Parsons. Um now comeback player of the year was interesting because um I had Dak Prescott, Derwin James, and Joe Burrow in it, but Joe Burrow ended up winning it. Um so kudos to Joe for winning that. But, um, but yeah, I was definitely, uh, uh, wondering, you know, how they were going to, how that was going to play out, um, from a comeback player of the year perspective and coach yeah, the was wrong. Mike Vrabel won it, but I thought it should have went to, uh, Zach Taylor. I thought Zach Taylor should have won that, uh, coach of the year. Um, but yeah, so it's so was like Mike Vrabel ended up winning it, but I mean, Zach Taylor made the Super Bowl. You know I mean? What can you say? What can you say? So, you know, it was, a, it was an educated guess, educated guess. So, yeah. So that's going to wrap up NFL headlines. Stay tuned for NBA news and views and who's in the news. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. Lockdown Defense Family, Coach Defense here, reminding you that the Lockdown Davis Podcast comes to you each and every Tuesday at 10 a.m. on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and also Aha Radio. And here lately, the YouTube page has been taking off. So if you subscribe to that, if you have not. Turn your notification bells on so you never miss an upload to the channel. The Lockdown Divas podcast comes to you each and every week, breaking down the news and views of yours truly, giving you heavy-hitting content, educated opinions on the NFL, NBA, Lakers, and Chargers news as well, my home's base squads. So if you're looking for a one-stop shop for edgy, real opinions and news of the popular world of sports, look a little further than the Lockdown Divas podcast. Also, if you're looking for me in between podcasts, follow me on any on any, and all of my social media platforms. Uh, Lockdown Defense Sports for Instagram and Twitch. On Twitter, it's Lockdown Defense. And, as I actually had a bonus, if you want to get in and get some questions answered in our mailbag, send me a DM on any of those platforms, or you can email me at LockdownDefenseSports at gmail.com. Uh, get those questions in any time between now and Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time each and every week to be eligible to be on the show the lockdown Divas podcast once again each and every uh tuesday 10 a.m on all platforms we get your podcast from so please tune in subscribe and turn your notification bells on so you know exactly when we go live now back to the show Let's talk who's in the news. NBA version. Man, I'm here to tell you, there was no shortage of drama at the trade deadline. Now, it it seemed, to me, that it was going to be very, very uh, low-key, monotone, when it going to be a whole lot of moves made. You know, a few mid-level guys moved around for picks and, you know, jockeying for position and trying to clear cap. Guys unhealthy, maybe getting another a uh, better shot a different scene with different teams, maybe a better fit. Um, you know, a couple of guys, you know. I mean, I was intrigued by the the divert trade. I was. Uh that that made a lot of sense. And I think that was uh a, a, a bit of an underrated uh trade, um, you know, honestly, but that had uh come up, you know, days before the deadline. So I was saying, well the deadline isn't yeah at this point, you know, I mean they was Jocelyn Bond the whole, you know, Lakers were gonna make a move not make a move, handcuffed about what they could do, things of that nature. I mean, that was the whole, that old drama field storyline. But you know, it was the Sixers in the in the Nets wall playing coy, like we're not gonna trade and we're keeping our guys and this and the third. <laughs> but until James Harden dropped that bombshell. But and it was so wild because it was a bombshell, but it was a it was a it was a subliminal bombshell. It's like I wanted to tell you, that, you know verbally that I want to f- officially request a trade, but I did not want the backlash. Where they do that at? <laughs> like honestly, truly, like I want, I want to be able to make bold moves, but I don't want the criticism. You know that Aaron Rodgers is the same way. I don't want, the, I don't want the criticism. I want to, I want to say uh, shocking things. I want to make shocking moves, but I don't want the blowback. <laughs> Man, it comes with the territory. Story. Somebody needs to tell you and make it sink in that that's just what the way it is you you make you know daring moves you gonna are get daring criticism that's just you know especially if it doesn't pan out the way you want it to you know I mean we we completely and utterly you know th- ripped uh James Harden for you know his antics in Houston forcing his way out to the Nets and look how look how that ha- look how that blew up he's happy now with the Nets because of Kyrie's situation. Now, I, I called that one. I told you that, you know, he was going to wear out his welcome with his teammates, namely James Harden, real fast. It was going to happen. And lo and behold, he's like, I didn't sign up for this crap. I really didn't. I can go and be uh, BFS with my buddy Dale Moore in, in Philly for all this. And that's what it boiled down to at the deadline. He's like, look, I I, I, I subliminally want to cre- request, formally request a trade. You Know and that tells me that basically rings a bell and rings the an alarm that says that, uh, well, guys, at this point, I have a player option next year, so like the likelihood of me opting into that player option is slim to none. And Slim's on vacation, so uh, he might want to get on the phone. <laughs> so Darryl Moy was happy to take uh, <laughs> take the, uh, Marx's uh, call, Sean Marx's call. Uh, in regards to how they're going to work a trade, a broker a trade with him and uh, Harden and Simmons for who and what and what other pieces, right? <laughs> so, that was being circled over. But it's a couple of other trades before I, I deep dive into what happened with this whole Harden-Simmons trade. Now, I have to pay attention, you have to pay attention to the idea that Serge Ibaka went to the Bucks. Now, I was really high on this trade until, and I'm going to get into the injuries aspect of it later, but Connors didn't get hurt. Like, yeah you, yeah you, you you fix one problem and yeah and you end up with another one Now a fully healthy team, you know, Lopez coming back, Ibaka, Conerson, uh Bobby Portis where he's playing and in the their normal rotation of of their big 3 and and, and their starters. That's a formidable team and that truly is is a favorite for me to come out of the East fully healthy. But that's the problem. Is that yeah, you get Serge Ibaka in the fold and and kind of he's trying to fill a void of what Lopez wouldn't wouldn't be doing because he's trying to work his way back from injury. Then you lose Connington for the whole season. Practically, he's whole, his best hope is to come back for the playoffs. Now, I mean, that's 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 not a air quote uh, deal breaker or it's not the end of the world for the Bucs. But it's just it's just rough. Like how you try to, you know, put a plug in one leak and another thing, another uh whole springs of leak across the room. It's just, it's, 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 it's very frustrating. If I'm, if I'm a Bucks fan, it really is. It really is. Uh, Toy Craig coming back to the sun. That's another underrated move for me. Uh, he was a very uh, high energy guy and added more depth to the sun's team. It's already, you know, very deep uh, from a roster perspective already. So you adding another piece, uh, another good defensive piece to this team. that was just going to ultimately truly aid in the team, uh, trying to get back to the finals. Um, I think that gives them a slight edge. I really do because Tory Craig was sneaky good for them last year before he got hurt. So you mean to tell me that you're going to bring him back to the fold? I think that's a good savvy move for the for the Suns. Underrated, but very savvy. Now, the trade for I, I alluded to by the carries the vert trade. Now he teams back up with with uh with uh with Jared Allen and, and cle in uh, Cleveland. I feel like that's a that's a sneaky move. I really feel like. Now I don't know what they're gonna do with their point guard situation when everybody's healthy. They got Rondo, they got uh, they got Karras, and they just lost uh, Collins and Sexton, you know, to injury not so long ago. So I don't know what they're gonna do a point guard when all these guys are healthy. But for right now, they still are all in with the whole idea of trying to make a run here with this young team because they keep they keep a point guard in house. You know, like I said, it started with Sexton. He went out. They got Rondo. Um, well, they got had Rubio. Rubio went he he went down. They got Rondo and then they got Levert, so clearly, you know, clearly Rondo can't play every night. He's, he's getting old and, and he's getting long the tooth, so he can't play every night. But he is a a calming voice and a and a veteran voice in the locker room to kind of 80s young guys and how to get them over the over the humps when it comes down to playoff basketball. So it's it's a nice seven move. I think that's a good one too. Now, it's it's another it's another trade that happened uh, with the Wizards and the and the Mavericks and. Kind of made me scratch my head because uh, I'm kind of figuring out, trying to figure out how this helps either team. Honestly and truly, I'm wondering. But you, you traded uh, Porzingis away for Spencer Dinwiddie and Bertals, um to the Mavericks. Now I said in last week that that the trade you should make that probably won't happen is that you need to find you need to find Luca number two. You really do. When I said that, I didn't mean (laughs) Spencer Dinwiddie. I didn't. I did. I I didn't mean that. Like I just, I have questions about how consistent Dinwiddie can even be. Now you know he shows some flashes when he was in uh, Brooklyn, but you know, I mean, again, he was playing for the Wizards, so it's not saying much. So it could change. But I was more thinking of a of of a wing player. You know, a a a, a three and D wing guy, maybe. You know, a guy kind of building more of like like Clay Thompson to be his one B or two. On his team, so you get rid of Porzingis, you get Bertans, and you get Denwitty to help Luca out, and uh, I don't know. I think they resigned Finney Smith to a long term deal. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it helps. I really think it was. I don't even call it a lateral. It just makes the team both teams different. Um, Bradley Bills hurt for the year, so I don't know what is gonna do in Washington. Um, you know, uh, might just fade into the obscurity to be honest. And and what is Denwitty and Bert Thomas going to do for the Mavericks? I just I don't, I'm very curious about what this means for either team. Like I, it's like one of those things like you just bored so you want to trade. Like you know, like you playing a Madden game, you play in the league. You know what? I'm bored. Let me just let me trade some pieces, see how they work out. Just let me just let me let me pull and, and push these pieces around and see if they make make a difference for my team. That's not how you're supposed to work in the NBA. It is not. You make a million dollars. You're really trying to compete for titles here. You're not. Just out here just doing whatever just because. I just don't understand it. I really don't. But that's what they did. And I'm curious to see how it works. I'm just going to sit back and see if this pans out at all. Well, then would he be able to compliment Luke at all? Uh, I don't have much faith at all in Berton. I really don't. I think he was kind of a throw-in, <laughs> to be honest with you. I mean, I don't know. I just don't think how they – I don't know how – I mean, it will do one thing for this team, for the Mavericks especially. It will get Luke off the ball. Then when he can bring the ball up. I'll give him that. So you give you take the exertion of having Luca bring the ball up consistently away from him, he can play off the ball, which, you know, what is that good or bad? I mean, cuz does he is he more effective with the ball in his hands and facilitating the offense or is he more effective playing off the ball? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but we're going to find out, obviously, cuz within then we did there, he's a clear point guard. That's all that's all he does. All he does is play point guard. That's all he does. So, that's going to be interesting to see. Exactly what um what how that shakes out I'm curious I'm curious I got a listener who you know a, a, a loyal listener that is a Mavericks fan so I don't think I'm gonna consult him about with how he feels in this regard about what he thinks about this Denver trade I'm curious but let's get to the 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 trade of all trades here you got uh Ben Simmons and Seth Curry going over to the Nets for uh, James Harden and Millsap now I think Millsap might get bought out and he may not be there i mean he wasn't playing for them in the first place so they were trying to find somebody to find for it, somewhere for him to go so will he stick with the 76 or not i'm not sure but i mean the key is is Harden with the with the 76 and, and also them allowing them to be able to keep thigh and and maxi that was a key for me i think that with them keeping tobias Harden, and maxi um thigh ball off the bench with with Embiid, yeah that's 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 uh, that's something that's something. But the question is for the 76 is what, what what, type of James Harden are we going to get? And he's still not fully healthy from what I read yesterday is that he's still rehabbing his injury. He won't be playing for the 76 until after the All-Star break. And he's not playing an All-Star game. So he's clearly still hurt. There wasn't a fake injury. He's still He clearly still hurt. So how will him and B work off each other? Now, I get it that James Harden is a, is a slightly better fit because he's not – uh, 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 I need the lane kind of player. You know, he's a shooter. He's outside guy. You know, he plays outside in, you know, and if he, get, he can get to the rim, that's fine. But, you know, he's more of an outside presence and that will allow Embiid to him not hit, that will allow for a hard to impede on Embiid's game. So that in his own right, if, he, if James is going to give you a double-double a night or 20 and eight, something like that, and Embiid's going to give you what he's giving you, his double-double, you know, 25 and 10, 12 a night, that, that could work. It could work um you know but again it really just all depends on what type of james harden we're going to get and we're going to get the true buy-in and the the houston rockets style of 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 james harden before he you know decided to get um controversial with his um antics i'm going to call it um you know being trying to be pc here but if We get the locked in James Harden like we had in Houston when he was you know tr- money making those playoff runs, it could definitely be something. It Definitely could be something. And I think they are really good defensively. They got a really good veteran coach. Um, it's just a question of you know what type of James Harden we get. We did get we did Houston Rockets James Harden, the, the locked in James Harden. I think that's going to be something. I think that will help them rise in the ranks and make them maybe top three. Um, you know from from a team perspective as far as who's going to compete in the East. Um, because you got uh, I'm not. I'm teetering on where I'm at with the Bulls right now, but but I clearly got the Bucks. So I clearly got the Heat there. One and two. And I think the 76ers can make a move. I I don't I got questions about I mean, hell, the Nets are already down in eighth right now. And with no KD yet. Um, so even when he does come back, you got KD, had part time Kyrie, and you got Ben Simmons. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sold on that at all either. But I think that for now, I think for right now. I think long-term, you know, it might pan out better for the, for the Nets as far as winning the trade. But I think the 76ers right now, on paper, look like a more formidable team to me. And I think that I like their coach better. I think, at to bottom, I like their coach better. I like their talent better. Clearly, I, I'm Embiid is never—I'm never, never going to question Embiid's ability when he's on the court, as long as he's not hurt. He's going to get it done. Play, play like an MVP. And, you know, Harden, if he's locked in and he's engaged, I think that it truly could be something. It really could. But, again— it's a wait and see for me. it really is a wait and see we gotta have to see how this meshes is and down the stretch because we got end of February, all of March and half of April to see exactly how it was going to pan out you know so again it's a wait and see. I'll be logged in and see these games football's over now, it's all about basketball, and we're going to see exactly what the seven season can be made of but I think if the if the right mindset is given and you don't have these issues and people being part time players or having you know you know issues, you know, with the team itself. It could be a match made in heaven. It could be, but again, that's what you can see for me. As, far as the nesting concern, I still think it's a, it's a bit, it's a bunch of turmoil because like, I still think it's Kyrie Irving situation. And again, that my take was I should have traded Kyrie, not James. But yet again, you still got his part time situation with Kyrie. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know where the, where they're going to go with this mandate. You know, are they going to, you know, uh, lift it or they're not? You know, but I still feel like, you know, if if he's gonna be a part-time player, you know, in the next two or three months, it's still very problematic for the team. You know, because it's still a night in night out basis. Let's look at it from this perspective. That guy Seth Curry, yes, he can definitely shoot. He definitely is a score. I think him and and uh Patty Mills are pretty much the same player. Um Patty Mills is a little bit older version of it, but I think they're, you know, same player. They're 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 they're, they're shooters. Now, I'm gonna give them a whole lot of credit for being defensive stoppers, but they're shooters. Um, which will help if, you know, when Harden draws double not Harden, but um, when K D draws double teams, you know, he he has he has people to kick it to knock down open shots. That's one thing. But Ben Simmons, again, he's a he was, he's a facilitator, good defensive player, and it, and I I gotta go towards the Ragnar right to Score kind of guy. You know. So does it does that truly when KD when KD's only was the only person available and Kyrie's not for home games, you know, how how does Ben and K D and, and gonna work off each other? But I feel like the bulk of the scoring, the bulk of the uh, uh, onus of the scoring is going to be on KD, and that's and he's still nowhere different where from where he was before Kyrie started playing part time, because you know, James was hurt, he wasn't really getting anything done, and he was putting ahead to put up triple doubles a night for them to win. So I don't like it, I really don't. <laughs> so I mean, you know, it, it could it could help. With Ben playing, it could. I just I got a lot of questions about it. I don't, it's another wait and see. I really don't. I really don't. I don't really. Don't, I have less much less faith in the Nets working than I do the Seventy Sixes. I really, I really think. But Kyrie being who he is, and KD being brittle at this point, and him not having to put the onus on him to do everything. Um, you know who knows what Ben is going to be, and not going to be. I got a lot of questions. I really do. So it's a wait and see. But again, if I had to put a slight, a small amount of money on who would play finish better in the standings at the end of the season, I'll put on the seven sixes. I really would. But yet again, it's a wait and see. But I'm just very curious about where where this is headed, Um, and what's what is what is that going to mean? What's it going to ultimately mean for uh the the both teams when it comes down to um you know how they finish and how they how they ascend or or for or hell, they could descend um in in this back half of the season after the all star break. So we will see. So switching gears a little bit, I'm talking about uh the NBA brand and um injuries. Um and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I believe, um, about the NBA season. Um we just witnessed uh Bradley Bill go out with a risk injury and he's out for the year. Um I you know I got I got a week's worth of takes about that. You know, we're not going to deep dive into that too hard, but, uh, Zach Levine, uh, he has, he's getting a opinion on his knee in California. in the next couple of days, he's has a, a knee issue. Um, I just talked about, he's going to be out for the rest of the season, at least, um, with a hand contusion. Um, and then Robert Cummingson who just got traded from the Blazers to the Clippers to try to keep the Clippers afloat until they figure out what they're going to do with Paul George and hopefully he can come back and in a very, very slim chance that maybe Kawhi Leonard would come back and they would have a whole team to make a playoff run, right? They would, you know, make themselves, you know, into a, a playing game or a playoff team which was which which likely their goal. And if they, would get, if they became whole at the end of the season, you know, hypothetically, then that could... You know, surprise some teams and maybe give them the edge they need to maybe make a title run. I think that was their thinking when they got Covington and Powell uh, as as in trade, right? But now, now Covington's hurt, so now we have a problem with that. He's hurt, and it's all they have is no more power left. So now they're still up against it when it comes down to injuries again. So that goes back to my original point about me saying that I really feel like the NBA season is too long. I really do. Because these injuries and these injuries are key players. Like Condonson is a key player for the Bucks. But Zach Levine is clearly a key player for the Bulls. Bradley Bill's is the only key place on from the Wizards. And Collinson, is a, is a is a great play, role player for the Clippers. So you losing these guys. KD's still out. Draymond's still out. Uh, you know, a few other guys are still hurt. You know, they try to bring them back. Brooke Lopez. I mean, it's plenty of guys that are hurt. You know, and KD and LeBron just came, I mean, AD and LeBron just came back from injury. So I really feel like the NBA season is too long. I really do. I think they should cut it down to about 50, 52 games and the playoffs, which ultimately, the most you could ever play is 82 games. Is a If you play seven-game series in every series leading up to the finals and win the finals or play in the game seven in the finals, I think that should be it. Um, which, again, that will go back to the idea of you being able to maximize your uh, time uh, your money, your your games on TV, things of that nature. Give more people more access to you, things of that nature. Um, and you have a better, you put on a better uh, show when you give guys more time off in between games. I think all these games, all this traveling, it's so much wear and tear on these guys' body. They have to play heavy minutes, things of that nature. You know, I just think there's too much on them playing 82 games a season. I really think it is. You know and I mean? Co- clearly this is going to be, it'll be a big fight if they ever discussed it because it's a lot of money involved. You know, but you know, I think you should cut the NBA season down. I really think, I think it's eighty two games is way too many. I think it's way too many games. And I you know, to me to have to play such a high level game and it's as very taxing and very strenuous and very uh uh high cardio uh type of game, it is it's too much. I really think it's too much. And I think injuries are really telling the the on them as far as it being an issue because. Honestly, truly, and I, and I don't want to criticize the NBA brand of being weak, you know, having issues or or kind of being lackluster in spots, but that's that's kind of what it feels like a little bit. You know, the fan the the the, the um uh, excitement of the NBA is just not there. You know, because you you get to games where you like, okay, I'm looking at the schedule, because I do this every day. I look at the schedule and say, okay, who's matching them good? Who's gonna be a good matchup tonight? mean, you know, maybe they throw a bet in there or somewhere like that. Who might be what might be a good bet? uh things of that nature i'm just checking out my my just day-to-day checking it out right and i'm looking and I'm like okay well all right the 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 warriors and the clippers are playing tonight you know that was last night and i was like well shit i mean draymond's not playing and and now he comes is now out so i mean again the, the game is different now this is not gonna be the same you know so it just loses it loses this it just loses it factor you know, so if you cut the games down, that will cut down on injuries, and that will give you more TV exposure. More, more people are on the court, and more people play on a night on a nightly basis when you have games available on a night on a, on a nightly basis. You spread the games out. People aren't playing as much. You aren't traveling as much. Less wearing and tear on the body, and you get LeBron, KD, Kyrie, you know, Steph Curry, and and, and all the top dogs, Giannis, and all these people on the court every night. You know, and when they come to that one city for once time in a year, they'll play and not be on injury reserve or being or taking a rest day. You know, I mean, because LeBron doesn't come to but Milwaukee once a year, and if you if you're a LeBron fan living in Milwaukee, you want to see LeBron, and LeBron's taking a rest day because he played a back to back last night, then he don't get to, you don't get to see LeBron for the whole year, and you bought tickets, you can, you wait a whole year for this game, you cheating the fans in that regard, so. Again, I think they should cut the they really should cut the season down. I really think they should, and ultimately, um, you know, make a better product, make a better product because these injuries are just piling up way too much, and we're losing guys that we shouldn't, um, and it's just changing in the game and they're kind of making it very top heavy, and you're looking at two or three teams at the top, and everybody else just playing uh, playing for lottery picks, and that's what it boils down to. But that's my take on it, and that's my take for the NBA. Uh, Stay tuned for our special segment called NFL Culture. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. back with our special segment called NFL Culture. Now this is a new segment, um, a segment that's going to be geared towards me talking about um, where I feel like the NFL culture is and where uh, it needs to change, in all honesty. Now last week I talked about uh, the NFL's hiring practices and what they ultimately should do to inspire real change in the NFL and, and that is affirmative action. Uh, establishing affirmative action to me is the only clear and cut way for them to honestly and truly uh, get some real change, and uh, it be some tangible uh, things that actually happen, um, and some you know more fair practices be uh, be uh, implemented in hiring. Um, guys getting fair interviews, fair jobs, fair opportunities to succeed, and fair in fair, uh, uh, fair compensation as well. For them, uh, for their services. So, um, you know, I th- ultimately truly think that's that's it. Because I mean, if you look through time, and I and I, and I came up with this idea based upon the idea uh, I thought about. I thought about um, how uh, the desegregation of schools went. Um in it's around the '60s. I want to say uh, '60s and '70s. Um, you know, ultimately, and this is just comes down to kids interacting, right? You um, could, you know. Uh, bias and racism is taught. You know, it's not something that you're born with, right? Um, so you force kids to sit, have to sit down in the same school and, and interact every day in a peaceful manner. You you ultimately come up with the idea that you know that person that doesn't look like me isn't so much dislike me. That there aren't the the stigmas and the and the stereotypes and the and the uh, negative connotations that have been swirled around this, this particular person's race isn't necessarily true the person has is good has a good character is good character traits some people do some people don't but holistically it wasn't based upon the fact that you know just because you look a certain way means you're a certain way it it was that wasn't the case and they fully understood that because they were forced to sit down and have uh interaction and you can ultimately see from a day-to-day perspective that these people aren't that bad you know and that goes for black and white you know there was of course there's some stigmas around white people just as much as blacks. You know, you know, you aren't there it isn't perpetuating the media as much in certain regards, but there there still are some stereotypical things that are said about both races. And when you sat down and had an honest conversation and sat down and had, you know, lunch and sat in class and had to do projects together and things of that nature, homework and such and such group projects and group sessions and things of that nature, you realize that hey, you know, Bob, Billy, you know, Deontay and Jackson aren't dead they aren't that bad. They aren't, they're They're. good people. They're good people. And that they're made for uh, uh, more uh, friendships to be forged and realize that what was drilled into them from their parents isn't necessarily true. And it kind of debunked the, the, the idea of what they were taught. All right? And I think that same thing needs to happen with the NFL and their higher practices. Because until you truly give them a fair shot and give me a seat at the table I can sit down and tell you and explain to you and show you better than I can tell you that um just as qualified or I'm just as able to flourish within your team and run your team as the next man that you hired you know previously or the previous man you hired then we're never going to ultimately truly get anywhere because you know clearly you're not going to do this on your own you're not going to do this on your own so you have to be forced to have the uncomfortable conversations, they have the sit downs, they have the interactions and, and be amongst each other on a day to day basis and, and, and realize and truly understand that, you know, from both sides that we're not so different. And, and we have, the, and both of us clearly, when it comes down to football, have the same goals in mind. We both want to win, you know, we both want to win. So, yet again, that's what it boils down to make them have, have the sit down. Force them to sit it's just like you know I mean it's just like mediation in your house you had two kids that are fighting like cats and dogs, you sit them two jokers down and you make them talk and hash it out like like civilized folk and that's also what you have to do to get to get past this racial disparity because what truly what you have to do so that was my take on the whole idea of the racial racial bias and practices and hiring it, that that was my solution so to uh Add to that aspect of it. Um, There's some issues I have with the NFL when it comes down to um, the way they are going about things here lately. And this rings true outside of here. Again, I said the NFL is a microcosm of society. You know, there's a lot of things that swirl out of of here that happens in in society on top of what happens in the NFL. But there's a lot of things going on. You get Roger Goodell standing on a podium saying that, you know, uh, I truly now understand what Carter Cabinet was trying to say, you know, years later, I, I, you know, we, we, we need to get, we need to start an initiative, a campaign, uh, you know, do all these symbolic things to let people understand that we finally hear them after all these years. You know, we have all these, uh, sayings on helmets and in end zones and, you know, banners and, and, and hats and things that show how to merchandise this symbolically saying that we're for uh, ending racial bias and injustice and social, you know, injustice in America. Right. But where we always truly fall short on, and this has been my biggest problem about the NFL is that their symbolism is simply that, you know, and and I'm looking at it from, a perspective that I need to see chan- tangible change. You know, you have your symbolic gestures, but there is no tangible change. And that tangible change piggybacking on my, uh, take on the idea of affirmative action being the NFL. You need, that's where you ta- That's your, that's your chan- tangible change. To Have that in, in place, you know, do all these symbolic gestures and, and it really, this is the part that really burns me up. And, and, and I alluded to this, and when I was last episode of Sports Talk with me and Coach Curry, I alluded to this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate it now. I have an issue with Black History Month. I really do. Black History Month is the is the coldest and shortest month of the entire calendar year, right? And what people do, um, especially from uh, you know Caucasian dominated organizations, right? They overcorrect, they over uh, emphasize, and overreach um, when it comes down to, again, symbolic gestures of solidarity when it comes down to people of color, right? Mainly black people, because it's Black History Month, right? Um, but they ultimately and truly ignore you the rest of the 11 months of the year. So, that particular aspect of it really, really bothers me because, you know, everybody waving the flag of black history, wearing these shirts and all these symbolic gestures of, of, of solidarity, but they truly have no, uh, inclination or, I, or, 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 I guess you can say, um, principle behind it. They really don't. They really don't They have no, no idea, you know, behind, you know, they have no tangible change ideas around what they're going to ultimately do to really get behind these messages. That's what I'm driving at. They have no desire to ultimately do anything that's really, truly uh, helping the cause, you know? So all these gestures and, and all these facts and all these videos that I'm seeing about people ultimately truly saying, you know, things that are true, you know, black history facts and things of that nature, that's all fine and dandy. You know that I'm, I'm fine with educating people about Black history, but yet again, when February 28th hits, people forget, and is well, it won't be until the next following February again, shortest and coldest month of the year, that people will even care again, symbolically, symbolically. So, you know, don't you know? For me, you know, I would like to see you on the front lines and holding. Uh, other people that don't look like black folks accountable the other 11 months of the year versus telling me I'm going to wear a black history month t-shirt and read black history facts and wear a kente cloth and things of that nature symbolically for a month. And that's just be it. And that the rest of the 11 months out of the year, I don't know you. I, I have an issue with that. I really do. So again, don't, don't placate me. And and what placate means is that to try to make you less angry or hostile, because he realized at this point you know, black people, especially in this country, are hostile about their, their inequality in this country. So, to to curb that uh, anger or placate you, they try to ultimately give you these symbolic gestures of of tangible, like, well, symbolic change, symbolic ways of me being for the cause. But there's still no tangible change in it. It really isn't. It really isn't so because again the the basis of everything is still the same the, the system is still the same it, there's no tangible change in it and that's my biggest problem you know because again real change coming in those higher practices and in real inclusion not a dog upon show that we currently have you know and i honestly truly as much as i love the entertainment i love music uh, i'm a big big music fanatic i really am i really am And some of my best, some of my favorite artists of all time were were involved in the Super Bowl halftime show. But part of me still felt like, and it it, it rang true in this moment, and I'm going to get to it in a second. But part of this makes me feel like it's an overcorrection for the league as far as a symbolic gesture of letting an all African-American outside of Eminem be a part of the halftime show. You know, letting Jay-Z produce it. That Dr. Dre orchestrated, uh, and it was a great show. You know, most people, you know, you know, I don't know if it's a prison of the moment thing, or if they really mean it, but most people said it was the best halftime show they've ever seen. You know, I mean, I, you know, because we've had some great performances. I, was, I saw Michael Michael Jackson perform. I saw Prince perform. I saw Beyonce perform on one occasion. I saw Whitney sing the national anthem. It's been been a lot of epic moments in the Super Bowl, and people are saying this is one of the best, if not the best halftime show they've seen. Which you know, I'm not having no problem with that. Um, because again you're just showing what black people as a whole and what their excellence can be about if you give them a chance but part of me was still torn because when i saw eminem neal on doing his performance on stage and on his doing his performance that brought me back to the whole idea that this seems like a symbolic gesture it is black history month the super bowl is going on there it, we got this Court case swirling around. you granted, granted, they did decide to have Dr. Dre and them perform before all this, but it just seems like it's still all circle around the symbolic gestures of what the NFL is trying to um, superficially make you believe that they're for the cause. When deep dark down and behind the in the back alley meetings that they clearly have, you know, among that that, that doesn't include anybody of color, that they still don't have any inclination of. Or desire to change anything about the system, that that really makes me believe that. And it really it took me it took Eminem kneeling a, a Caucasian male rapper to kneel to make me understand that, you know, they really it is is really a dog and pony show. It feels like it really does. As much as as epic as it was, great performances across the board. I mean, it wasn't a bad moment in that show. It really wasn't. But the idea of him kneeling brought me back to the whole idea. You know, that, you know, Colin Kaepernick, you know, how he's being blackballed, Brian Flores being blackballed, things of that nature. It just brings you back to the whole idea. And and I'll end this by saying this is that until such time that we get past the superficial symbolic uh gestures of uh Air quote. I'm for the cause of uplifting and equality for Black people, as a whole, and really, truly forge some tangible change when it comes down to tangible, lasting change. When it comes down to how the system is operating at the current moment, then we will never, ever, ever get anywhere past where we're at at this moment. Which isn't far. It which isn't a far cry from segregation. It's not that far from it. It really isn't. Because if you if you really look at the way the system is is being ran, you have, you know, the Caucasian males running the the, running the. Running the organizations, commissioners Caucasian. The owners are Caucasian. Selfa so Shah Khan, he's he's not he's not, he's not Caucasian. But seventy percent or more of your workers are black. You paint your own picture. Paint your own picture of, of how that looks in the holistic view of how the world has been operating for the last 20 years. And you tell me, was what's what's wrong with that situation? I'm just saying. So that's my take on NFL culture and symbolic versus tangible change. So hope that touched somebody's uh, psyche and made and brought share some light on what we're really dealing with when it comes down to what we see in front of our faces as far as these messages and what's really going on behind the scenes. So. That's gonna wrap up NFL culture in the segment here in the Lockdown Davis Podcast episode 74. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back with the fourth quarter closeout. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. Hey, I'm just here so I don't get fired. So all my lockdown defense goons and goblins, Coach Defense here. Wanted to remind you that our weekly debate show, Sports Talk with Coach and Kirk, broadcasts live each and every Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and simulcasts Simulcast on Twitch and YouTube. We bring you chase down blocks and deep cleaning content each and every Saturday, and so I'm here to tell you keep your head on the swivel because you never know exactly what Coach Curt and I will say next. Each and every week we break down hot topics of the NFL and NBA of the week in the world of sports. If you've ever seen the show by now, it one ad can honestly truly not do it justice. So it'll be your best interest. It'll be your best interest to tune in live or on replay each and every week for authentic, honest, and real opinion that goes on in the sports world. And we might have the Rose Light Skin Coalition uh, week to week for being extra. The show goes live each and every week on YouTube and Twitch. Search Lockdown Divas" Podcast on YouTube. And follow us on twitch.tv forward slash Lockdown Divas Sports. Live and direct each and every Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Subscribe to all our platforms. Turn your notification bells on. And if you missed any part of the show, the replay goes live on all platforms at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on uh, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, I Radio, and Apple Podcasts. So check us, there, check us out there. And as next, I had a bonus. If you want to get featured as a mailbag question on the show live, email us at LockdownDefenseSports at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter at Lockdown Defense. Uh For all questions, must be submitted by Saturday at 5 o'clock for a chance to be on the show each week. As always, Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt, each and every Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, dual cast on Twitch and YouTube. Post screen, I are just here so we don't get banned. Now back to the show. back with the fourth quarter closeout of the lockdown defense podcast i'm your host coach defense episode 74 is in the books i appreciate everybody's been listening and holding it down for us for 74 episodes and we're gonna keep rocking and doing this thing big for y'all appreciate everybody's support like i'm subscribed as always let everybody know we out here i'll uh, get us in the algorithm let youtube know we're doing big numbers out here man so appreciate by viewership we're gonna keep doing this thing and heavy for you so all my lockdown defenders and heavy hitters appreciate everybody's support so let's give out our awards for last one ceremoniously for the NFL this week uh, for breakout player of the week, lockdown defender of the week, and big dummy of the week. So let's do it. All right. So uh, in, I'm going to go all Rams as the Super Bowl champs. We're going to give all our awards out to all Rams this week, uh, starting with Matthew Stafford. Uh, he was 26 of 40 for 283 yards through the air, three touchdowns. Unfortunately, two picks, like I said, I only give him credit for really one because that one was more like a punt, um, the first one he threw. Um, second one was off Ceronics' hands. But regardless, played a pretty clean game, uh, 89.9 uh, quarterback rating overall. So he had a good game from the, from a passing perspective. Uh, I'm going to give credit for Odell Beckham Jr. Um, having two receptions for 52 yards and uh, a touchdown. Uh, give him Definitely give him credit for uh, ultimately uh, – changing the game while he was in it um it really unfortunate he tore his acl again and he was out for the game after that point but he was definitely a game changer when he was in it and he was been a game changer for them all playoffs so give odell beckham a lot of credit for being uh a, a definitely a breakout player for the rams all season as he's been there and of course Cooper cup gotta give credit for Cooper cup eight receptions 92 yards receiving two touchdowns um game-winning touchdown he caught as well being the triple crown MVP-like office of uh, player of the year that he is. Um, Super Bowl MVP, obviously. So uh, definitely give Cooper Cup his flowers as well for being completely and utterly dominant throughout this whole entire year. Um, lockdown defenders. Give it to Von Miller. Two tackles so uh, total, two solos, two tackles for loss, two sacks, three quarterback hits, and a pass breakup. So he even got in coverage one time and broke up a pass. So yeah, Vaughn Miller play lights out and can't go can't, can't leave this particular conversation without talking about the man Aaron Donald. Uh four tackles total, three solos, two tackles for loss, two quarterback sacks, two big quarterback sacks. One that forced the field goal and not a touchdown, and one that's still a game. And three total quarterback hits in throughout the game. So I'm telling you, man, the boys are definitely after it, and they definitely deserve every bit of uh, praise they have gotten for being Super Bowl champions. So, so Matt Stafford, Odell Beckham, Cooper Cup, Von Miller, and Aaron Donald is on top of being Super Bowl champs. We give y'all awards for Breakout Player of the Week and Lockdown defender of the Week. (laughs) Now, on to Big big Dummy of the Week. and I didn't talk about this at all um, prior to this on the podcast, but I'm gonna bring it up now, Adrian Peterson. Uh, I understand that he's not technically on a team right now, but um, he did play NFL football this year, um, uh, for the Titans and the, and for the Seahawks at, at, in stretches, right? Uh, he got arrested, um, during the Super Bowl weekend, uh, for uh domestic abuse. Um, it was reported that he uh, allegedly uh, assaulted his uh, wife, um, physically. Um, to the point where he was uh he he caused a, a a flight to be redirected back to its original takeoff point, and they had to ultimately uh take him and his wife off the plane and arrest him. I think they put his wife back on the plane; she was able to fly where she was going, but uh they detained him in, and I want to say California, and uh, he was charged with domestic violence. So, you know, I. I really, for lack of a better term, pitched uh, Adrian a a fair one when it came down to the whole issue with him disciplining his child. You know, because sometimes people make out you disciplining your child as being more than it is. Now, I don't know the details. I I wasn't there. I didn't read the police report. Um, But, you know, I do understand that some people make, you know, especially when it comes down to African-Americans and disciplining their children, they they make uh, a big deal out of things that no nec- necessarily are. So you know, I wanted to give him a break there uh, again, but I don't know the details. It was a very it was a very tight case, closed you know reports and things of that nature whatever he had to go through legally for with that. Don't know the details, and most people don't. But um, when it comes down to this situation, when you are now allegedly uh, assaulting your wife on a plane in the public eye in front of everybody. uh it's hard. It's hard for me to believe that's a lie. Um, now, you know, whether they drag out the details and say you did more than you did, if you did anything, that's that's an issue for me. And that plays into the idea of you being an issue, a person that's a that's hits people and have an issue with keeping your hands to yourself. Have issue with your temper as well, because let's be honest, 90 percent of the of the domestic violence uh, cases that happen typically when somebody loses their cool. And they can't handle it, and they result to violence, and, and you know, as a means to subdue the person that they're having issues with. So, if you had to have an argument with your wife and then let you put your hands on her in front of everybody on this plane, dude, I mean, come on, man, like you just basically, you know, signed your death certificate when it comes down to uh, people labeling you as an abuser. You know, they now you're gonna everybody I and mean, their mama is gonna believe that you abused your son, and probably on more than one occasion. And you hit your wife on more than one occasion because it's clearly if it escalates to the point where you did it in public, you clearly didn't didn't have not done this for the first time. Uh when it comes down to these incidents that were reported. Everybody's gonna believe that. So I'm sorry, sir. Uh either you got the worst luck in the world or you are you might be a person that has an issue or a problem with putting your hands on people. And I'm sorry, most people are gonna believe the latter in this regard. So Agent Peterson For the Lockdown Davis Podcast, episode 74, you get a Big Dummy of the Week award. You big dummy. So that's going to wrap it up, man. I appreciate everybody supporting and listening and their views each and every week. Uh, Keep rocking with me as always. Episode 75, we'll be back in your building. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks. Uh, The All-Star football is over. The All-Star week is uh, this weekend, so there will be no NBA games. So it won't be a whole lot to cover. So we're going to take a week off. uh, Mainly, in all honesty, full disclosure, I got a, a minor surgery to go through on that on monday so i won't be uh really available to record uh, as well so i'm gonna take a week off from the podcast but uh i'll be back in two weeks with the podcast uh live and direct in the living room as always and be coach defense until then step up and lock it down